So coming up on the next slide is a picture of Farmall Reservoir. Oh, okay, it's going to take a while to load up, but anyway. Uh, you've probably seen pictures of Farmall Reservoir. It supplies all the water in Oxford. Thankfully, not all at once. That would be uh, slightly disastrous. Um, but it means that when you turn on your tap in your kitchen, the pipes lead from Farmall. And if you want water, all you have to do is open the tap. And God has a huge reservoir of blessing for us, resources available for us, and there are taps for us to turn, hence the, that slide there, to give us a steady flow of spiritual water. When I was 12, I realized that uh, people in the Bible were experiencing uh, a level of God's blessing that I wasn't seeing. And... Uh, there was something missing for me and so I asked my dad to pray for me he laid hands on me and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and that was an important step forward in that but I've noticed in the few years that have intervened that there are taps to be turned there are times when we're not getting enough of God's blessing and rather than blaming God we can see is there something that we need to do to turn the tap to release more of God's blessing because the Bible is full of creative ideas of things that we need to do. Now I think you'll probably be familiar with the story of when Jesus' followers were meeting together, they were praying, and the result was that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, they spoke in other languages, they prophesied, they preached, and an amazing 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus that day. And what an exciting day to be part of. And then it tells us what those new followers of Jesus did and the result of what they did. If you re read Luke's account of Jesus' life and the book of Acts, both written by Luke, you'll find Luke was a, a doctor. He was very deliberate in the way that he wrote. He recorded cause and effect. And in many of the situations, uh, He's really making a point. He said, they did this, and then this was the result. And uh, so we see that um, at the beginning of Acts. Later on, we see incredible healings. We see people being raised from the dead. Uh, people healed because uh, pieces of cloth were prayed over, and then the cloth was placed on somebody, and they were healed. Other people healed just because Peter walked past and they said, you know, it was his shadow, it was, it was the presence of God upon him that brought the healing. So um, incredible things. And they got the blessing because they turned on the taps. And the more they turned on the taps, the more blessing they received. Uh, we sing words like, give me more of you because we desperately need more of God. Uh, I think, you know, if you look at your life, or if your life is sorted, look at my life and you'll see that uh, there are things that need to be sorted out. And uh, if you look around at our nation, times of real darkness in our nation, and uh, we're in a desperate position, we need more of God, don't we? And we know that we can't do it on our own, uh, we can't fix it, only God can. And God will, if his people will cry out to him. And when we realise how desperate we are and how much we need him, 
God answers, whether it's worshipping God and calling out to him as you drive along because you need dry weather for an outdoor performance or whatever it may be. God loves to answer prayer. So what were some of the taps that are recorded in the New Testament? What are the key things that we can do if we want more of God? Well, some of them are found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And uh, if we can go on to the next slide there, if it will let us do that. Step number one, or tap number one, is that they devoted themselves to God. Devotion is different to commitment. You know, you might be committed at work. Uh, you turn up, you do the job, then you leave and go home, but you feel no allegiance to the company or to the people who work there. Or possibly you get the job done, but inside you hate the job, you feel resentful about it. It's just a job to pay the bills. That's not devotion, is it? Devotion is very different. It touches our heart. Initially, it has nothing to do with behaviour. It's a heart issue, but then it infects everything. Everything that we do. And that devotion then leads to commitment. Devotion touches our hearts. It's bound up with our beliefs. Our beliefs control our attitudes, and our attitudes control our behaviour and our habits. What we're trying to do in this church is grow passionate followers of Jesus. And when we do that, commitment really takes care of itself. You may have noticed, uh, if you're into sport, that thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, will travel to another country to watch their football team, their rugby team, whichever team, uh, and watch them play. And they pay for flights, they pay for hotels, they'll pay for tickets to the match. Sometimes they will even travel, even though they know they can't get into the stadium. Because they're devoted. They're devoted to their team. And I wonder, what would it look like if we were that devoted to Jesus? Well, I think we find the answers in the rest of Acts chapter 2. But they were single-minded because they realised they had found something of greater value than anything else. They were willing to sacrifice whatever it took to know God more and to walk with him, living in a culture that was even more hostile than the one that we live in. When we turn the tap of devotion, we start to get the water, but we don't get everything all at once. We need to persevere, we need devotion, we need constant attention. So what did they give constant attention to? The second one, the second tap, or the second step, is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what was the apostles' teaching? It was accurate teaching from the Bible, or at least the bit of the Bible that they had at that point. So they gave themselves to studying the Old Testament scriptures and to what Jesus taught. And what Jesus taught was written down really quickly. And uh, we know that certainly within 30 years, Jesus' teaching had been written down, uh, had been sent around the whole of the Mediterranean area and was accepted as scripture alongside the things that... Uh, the, what we call the Old Testament. And we know that the, the Bible is unlike any other book. Uh, it's God's word. In our 
Vineyard's statement of faith, it says we believe that it is the word of God fully inspired without errors in the original documents and an infallible rule of faith and practice. In Proverbs 3 verse 5 it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In all your ways. Even the ones that are inconvenient and the ones that are not politically correct. Those are tough ones, aren't they? The ones that go against the flow of society in all your ways, acknowledge him. And so we follow God's ways. They're revealed in the Bible and we want to follow them without compromise. And as it says here, if you do that, God will straighten things out for you. We need to hear God speak. We do that primarily through the Bible and then we don't just listen to what God says, we actually put into practice what he says. That's what a wise person does, Jesus said. And so we devote ourselves to God's word, making quality time to focus on God, building a secret history with him. And if you're human, then from time to time you will find that reading the Bible maybe gets a bit stale, a bit dry, maybe not getting as much from the Bible as you would like to. Uh, well, if that is the case, then at the end of the meeting today, ask somebody to pray for you, that God would refresh his word, because God's word is living and active, uh, and not dry and dead. <clears throat> you can also try the Bible meditations that I put out from time to time. Um, I was leading a seminar when w one of the guys... Uh, said to me when he heard that we were going to do a Bible meditation his heart sank because he was getting nothing from his Bible reading at all but because he had come along to the seminar he did it and uh, he said it, it just blew him away by his encounter with Jesus in fact it blew him away so much that he didn't turn up to the rest of the seminars that we were doing. Because just from that one encounter with Jesus, reading his Bible, he had so much to pay attention to and so much to process. So if you don't get all you need from the Bible to start off with, keep turning the tap. Try different ways of reading the Bible. They're all good. Step number three, they devoted themselves to fellowship. So fellowship is... Uh, participation in intimate sharing of our lives. They committed themselves to each other, not just spending time with each other, but going deep, being vulnerable with each other, being willing to say, I'm really struggling with whatever it may be. 1 John 3 verse 16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. That's what the Bible means by fellowship, following the example of Jesus in loving and serving each other. So what did that look like for the early church? Well, in Acts 2 verse 40 44 it says, All the believers were together. They held everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Their commitment to each other was so strong that 
If they saw a need, they gave sacrificially. It was a radical way of living. It was something that the, the society around them noticed that they were living differently to other people. And so it says in 1 John 3.17, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. When the Bible talks about caring for other people, it's talking about primarily caring for people within the family of faith, within the church, our spiritual brothers and sisters. And then once we've done that, we then reach out and care for other people. Devotion to God includes devotion to each other, which includes time, energy and money. Don't just give money to the help fund. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? It's helped a lot of people. But give yourself as well as your money. It's not just about you know, putting some money in the offering, paying your tithe and then you know, the rest of life you can carry on with as if uh, nothing had happened. But it's an open-hearted, thankful response to God because we're saved to serve. And this is radical, isn't it? It goes against society. Society says, get as much as you can. Uh, follower of Jesus, it's give as much as you can. And not just money, but in all things. So fellowship in practice in this church means building relationship, and that might be in a connection group or through a discovery study. Those are some of the simple, easy ways of doing that. It can mean coming to minister to God and minister to other people on a Sunday, finding a way to uh, serve others, and so on. And we say to people who are new to the church, come at your own speed. Don't feel that you have to jump straight in with both feet, but test the water, make sure you feel safe. Um, But the local church is the hope for the world because it's where God works through his people. And it's when the church really starts to operate as the church that the power is released. John 13, 35, Jesus said, This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. And that's why the church is the hope for the world. It's the vessel of God's love. It's God's people coming together. It's how God reaches out to lost people. It's where lost and broken people find forgiveness, healing, hope, relationship with God, love, support, all the things that our society is crying out for are here in the church and that's how God designed it to be. And people come in different ways, don't they? We've had people come into church through explorers, through connection groups, through a Sunday, through a discovery study, through a parenting course, through an evangelistic clay pigeon shoot, you know, we, we've tried lots of different things. Healing on the streets, people come different ways. And uh, God has so much that he wants to give. But church, God's family, is our home, it's our base, and we reach out from here. Step number four. They, tap number four. They devoted themselves to eating together. 
a very spiritual and important exercise. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread. Now, that particular word in Greek means the Lord's Supper. Uh, remembering and celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection, a physical action that has spiritual power. And so we encourage our connection groups to have the Lord's Supper at least once a month. And uh, occasionally we do so at other events. So last Sunday at the retreat we had the Lord's Supper together. I'd encourage you to have the Lord's Supper on your own, in your household, with your friends, with your family, maybe even on your own. Uh, It's a powerful, important thing to do. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made in our place. It reminds us again that we can't make ourselves acceptable to God and that we come totally relying upon what he's done for us. In uh, a few verses later, in verse 46, we've got there, we're told they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, a different word here when it says breaking bread, different word in the Greek, and it's the... Our word for chocolate comes from... No, it doesn't. Um, This is just about eating together, which obviously needs to include chocolate quite a lot of the time. But it's eating, partying, feasting, eating with glad and sincere hearts, including God in the process, and thanking him for the incredible things that he's done for us and the great things that he's going to do as well. So, Lord's Supper, as well as just eating meals together. Step number five, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is telling, the thing, telling God the things that he told us to tell him. It's a spiritual conversation. It's chatting with God. It's bringing to God the, the, both the thanks and the requests, and then listening to him as well for what he wants to say. Easy to forget that last bit. And in uh, James chapter 5, verse 16, we're told the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And the example that we're given in that passage in James is of Elijah, who prayed and it stopped the rain for three and a half years. Not just for a performance, but for three and a half years, he stopped the rain. And, And we're told in that passage that he was just like us. He wasn't a superhero. He didn't have powers that we don't have. He was just like us, the Bible says. And so seeing incredible answers to prayer is is possible for us as well. Isaiah 62 verse 6 says, You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. So pray for peace in Israel, yes, but also pray for the church. That's what it represents in this passage. Pray for your church, that God will make us stronger. That's the kind of devotion to prayer that we need, not some half-hearted, if it's your will, please would you do whatever. Prayers that are quickly forgotten. Devoted prayer means regular, emotional, energetic focused calling out to God. We're told that Jesus used loud cries and tears as he prayed. 
we've got a, a worship and prayer evening that's coming up. And so I'd love you to come and join us as we seek God together. But you can pray on your own. You can pray with others. Uh, you'll be tempted to think, I'm tired. It's the end of the week. I don't really want to go. Or I really don't want to go. Or it's dark. It'll be boring. God will be there, by the way, so it won't be boring. But if we open the tap, the water will flow. And the Bible says prayer is a powerful thing. It's also one of the things that we most easily get diverted from because Satan knows that it's the engine room that produces power for what God wants to do. Step number six, they devoted themselves to worship. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. The Greek word there for praising means joyful thanksgiving to God for all that he's done. Uh, Revelation 19 verse 5, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, fear him, both small and great. Worship includes what we sing, but it also includes uh, giving ourselves to God. It's about complete surrender. John Wimber, the guy who founded the Vineyard Group of Churches, wrote, Our heart's desire should be to worship God. God designed us for this purpose. If we don't worship God, we will worship something or someone else. Worship isn't just singing words that are true, but it's about how we live. It then overflows, our our lives overflow in a passionate expression when we sing, when we bring God all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Worship and outreach are our highest priority. Worship is the primary thing that we do that brings us into intimate relationship with God. We touch God through worship, we touch the world through outreach. So those are six steps recorded in Acts chapter 2. Six turns of the tap that will release God's power for us. Now there are other things that are not listed in that list. Things like fasting, which we know is very important as well. encourage you to fast every Friday in some way, but do it safely. But we know that if we give ourselves to these things, the promise in the Bible is that God will pour out his power upon us. And we have that in the passage there. Notice the result of what they did. Acts 2 verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Then there's the healing of a cripple. A man who'd been crippled for 40 years. And so on. As well as opposition. So we need more of God, don't we? We are empty and broken without him. We have no hope and no future without him. But with him we have everything. We're saved from eternal death for eternal life. We have healing of all sorts, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental and social healing. The power of God touches every part of our lives, every part of society. We have freedom, we have changed lives, we have restored relationships. The reservoir of God's blessing is vast and limitless. So really the question is, will we turn the tap? If the problem is that there's no water, I think the problem's not at God's end, is it? 
The problem lies with us. The solution lies with us as well. We need devotion to God. Constant attention and perseverance rather than apathy. This is a very apathetic city and it's very easy for the mindset to affect us in our relationship with God. It's also a wonderful city. It's not just one-sided. We need to give ourselves to the Bible and what God says instead of being conformed by pressure from our society. Fellowship and serving each other are uh, instead of selfishness, eating together and sharing at a deep level. Having the Lord's Supper, giving thanks for the death and resurrection of Jesus that set us free instead of trying to make ourselves right and acceptable to God. Prayer instead of complaining. Worship, serving God wholeheartedly, surrendering to him so that when we come together there is an overflow, there's an explosion of praise, of thankfulness, of love, of adoration and in intimacy. The Bible says the reservoir is full and there are no blockages in the pipes. We need to learn how to turn the taps. So I wonder which of the taps do you need to turn this week? If there was one area that God was saying to you that you could give attention to this week, what would it be? Where is the Holy Spirit prompting you to just spend a little bit more time and energy this week? It may mean having to let go of something else for a period of time. But we don't want to just hear God's word, we want to put it into practice. So what does it, what does it mean? Which of these six will be the right one for you this week?